know, how many of you ever have um, uh, got into a situation where before you got into it, um, something came to you and you thought, that'd be a good idea to do? And then you get in the middle of it and you're like, this was a horrible idea. Anybody ever found yourself like that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes planting a church is like that. Like, it'd be a great idea to plant a church. And then you get into it and like, what the heck did I do? Um, I, we kind of had another situation like that when we were um, coming down this way from, from D.C. We actually have been here for a couple of days. Um, my wife's family all gathered um, around Pigeon Forge along with the rest of the United States of America this week. And um, I was like, my God, I didn't know D.C. traffic followed us to Tennessee, but it's there, right there in Pigeon Forge. And um, anyway, we were there for a few days and uh, had a good time. But on the way down, we decided we had the bright idea. We were checking in the 26th, the day after Christmas. We had the bright idea. You know, we'd already had Christmas with Elon and all that. Like, we're going to leave. We'll drive you know, most of the way Christmas Day, there won't be any traffic on the roads and get a hotel and just have a couple hours to go in on, on the 26th. And that was a great idea until we realized halfway down the, the road, uh, you know, about two, two and a half hours in the trip, just long enough for me to get hungry, that it's Christmas Day. And nobody's open on Christmas Day. Like, nobody. McDonald's is even, Ronald McDonald shuts down for for Christmas Day, and I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, I, I live in D.C., I'm from Louisiana, and um, I told them last service, like, my, I've graduated, Christmas used to be, when I was a kid, it used to be about presents, I have moved into the realm of old age, um, where Christmas is about food, not presents to me, can I get an amen somebody, that's what I'm talking about, you don't have to wrap nothing up for me, just put it right in front of me on the dinner table, and I'll be fine right there, and so we, we had to go in, and I mean, we were, we were desperate, like we were eating out of gas stations, and um, I'm originally from Louisiana, so I'm used to that, um, didn't bother me too much, but then we finally got to the, the, the Virginia, Tennessee line, that's where we we're going to stop, and we pull in, there was a huddle house in the parking lot of our hotel, and I pulled by and saw, oh, Huddle House is open, and so we moved in, but uh, got checked in, got into the hotel room, and, and I was like, hey, you want to walk over to Huddle House to my wife? Now, my wife is not from the South, and she has a more refined palate, and Huddle House was not sounding good to her after eating out of a gas station all the way there, so um, she's like, do we have to? So I got on Yelp, you know, I'm pulling up Yelp, thank God for iPhones and, you know, all that stuff, and I find like every restaurant that Yelp lists around us within a, you know, 15, 20 mile radius. And I've sat there and I called 20 restaurants. No, I mean, I was calling, Do you know you're desperate when you call Domino's, right? And I was calling everywhere I could find. Nothing was open. I was like, it's Huddle House or nothing and nothing's not an option for me. And so we walk over to Huddle House and get in it's packed thankfully there was somebody getting up from a table we sit down and seemed like a really good idea when we were walking across there we're gonna get dinner on Christmas night at Huddle House and I'm gonna go to bed with a full stomach and it was fine until we got there and everything started going south like and and I mean who would have ever thought things could go south in Huddle House I mean this was I don't know why I would think that but um we're sitting there and takes a while they finally take our order and we're sitting there and sitting there after man after about 20 25 minutes um the, the one of the wait staff comes around and starts telling the table you know we apologize it's taking a long time but um our cook has now left he just walked out and we were like what 
Yeah, the cook just walked out. He was done. Okay. Um, but don't worry, my manager's on the way. He'll be, they'll be here in five minutes, and we'll. And so, and and you know how it is in Waffle House, Huddle House. There is no like back corner. Everything's all out in the open, right? And so we're sitting there. We're sitting by the front door, and then the grill's just right on the other side of us. And and so the wait staff, they were just walking in circles back there. They were panicking, like, "Oh my God, the cooks walked out, and we don't know what to do." And we're waiting, and ten minutes go by, and fifteen minutes go by, and they're like not being all that helpful. They're just pacing, like giving everybody like well, we don't know and I was like I can cook eggs like I let me get up there I'll throw a sausage patty on the grill I don't matter I just want to eat right and uh, finally you know we're sitting there and and we look up and the cook walks back in like the front door and just walks right by us and walks back there and just starts cooking again and and I looked at my wife I was like uh did you see him wash his hands or anything and no I'm like okay well here we go it's huddle house on Christmas everybody and it just starts cooking it up and they come and they serve it and and I look at my wife I'm like um this is gonna need a prayer real quick and so let's just bow our head and we prayed about twice as long over our food and um, yeah, we ate, and then that later that night, I regretted. I was like, I should have just fat. The Lord was speaking to me to fast on Christmas Day. Just was not, didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out in the beginning. But life's like that, right? Um, you know, I'm from Louisiana, so I can say this. You know, they say that, that the famous last words of every redneck is, hey, y'all, watch this, right? You know, it's like a good idea to go into, going into it, but then it just turns south really really quick and I want to kind of talk to you from a story in scripture that's along these lines and um, it's found in the Old Testament in um, in the book of first Samuel and it's a time in the nation of Israel's history um, where they have just anointed their very first king and so up to this point in their history um, they have been what is known as a theocracy God um, kind of was was king and and he spoke through prophets and 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 the um, the legal kind of stuff for the nation kind of was was mediated through what was called judges. They judged Israel, and um, so this had been going on for quite some time, and uh, had worked uh, to to a certain degree, but. Um, Israel just kind of started yo-yoing back and forth and their hearts would turn away from God and they would go into captivity and then they would repent and God would deliver them and that would work for a while and, and then they would turn their heart away from God and then they would go into captivity and for, for several hundred years it was just this massive vicious cycle of, of them uh, being taken over by whatever foreign nation um, as a result of the judgment of God and them turning their hearts away from God. And so finally, they want a king because everybody else has a king and they think that the king is going to fix their problem. And actually, it's a heart problem. It's not a king problem. But, but because they're so adamant about wanting a king, um, God gives them what they want. And so, so uh, Saul becomes the very first king of Israel. And he had a son by the name of Jonathan. And the very first thing that Saul does as king is he realizes that one of Israel's enemies, the Philistines, um, had obviously come into Israel and taken some of their land from them. They were actually, Israel was living subservient to them at this point in time. And um, what's a king that's newly appointed wanting to do? I'm going to take back my land. My, my, my. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to sit here and let somebody else come on up in here and set up camp and so they decide we're going to run the Philistines out of Israel 
And what they do is they select a very strategic city um, named Geba to go um, after first. And it was a city that was about three miles from the original capital city of Israel. Uh, of Israel. And, and this is where the Philistines had kind of come and taken over and set up their administrative headquarters to run the nation of Israel by proxy through their capital city. And so they knew that, hey, if we strike at the heart of their of, of their administrative nerve center, then we can go a long way in overcoming the Philistines. And that's exactly what they did. And God gave them the victory. They ran the Philistines out of Geba. And um, all was great for a few days. I mean, Israel was, you know, loving life. Man, this was a great move. We got a king. He put together an army. We finally got the Philistines out. And, you know, Saul was feeling pretty good about himself. Um, and for a few days until the Philistines decided we ain't going to take that. And they mounted a counterattack. And it was on a scale unlike anything Saul ever anticipated. He never expected the Philistines to respond in the way they did. The Bible says that the Philistines got ticked and they were going to make sure they taught this new king a lesson that you don't try to come against us and rebel against our authority and so they sent 3,000 chariots 6,000 chariot men along with an infantry that the bible just says was as numerous as the sand of the sea they could not even count them and they sent them back into Israel to go teach this new king a lesson you don't mess with the Philistines and all of a sudden what once was a great idea and what once was an awesome, awesome, awesome plan to get the Philistines out now brought them a whole lot of trouble that they did not anticipate. It scared them and caused them to be afraid so much that the Bible says the, the army that Saul had assembled began to flee. And some of them actually went so far as to going over and joining the Philistines. Now, how do you like that as a leader? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, see ya. I'm going to go over here where all the 3,000 chariots are, right? You just take care of this yourself, Saul. See ya. And um, this is kind of the situation that happened. So, and, and it got to where the Bible says Saul and Jonathan were only left with 600 men against an army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariot men, and an infantry that could not be numbered. And oh, by the way, there was only two swords among the 600. And they belonged to Saul and Jonathan. And at this point, I'm saying, those other 598 people, whoever they were, give me those people to plant a church. I want them willing to stay there without a sword, right? But this is the problem. We see Saul is so afraid and so fearful and so paralyzed by this situation that the Bible says he goes and he sits under a tree and he does nothing. He's afraid. As any one of us would be if we were honest with ourselves. I mean, this is not a walk in the park. I mean, it's not as bad as being in Huddle House on Christmas, but I mean, he's in a situation, right? And um, he, he doesn't know what to do. I'm sure he's thinking like, okay, my, my, my first few days as king went well, but this ain't going to end well. Like, you know, it was a nice ride. I enjoy being a king one week, but this is about to end right here and right now. And there was so much pressure in his life, and the enemy had come against him in so 
uh, to, so drastically that he was paralyzed by his fear. And I've lived life long enough to know this, that, that, that if you allow it, the pressure of life and fear that can come on you in those times of pressure will paralyze you to the point where you cannot advance and go forward in your life. Whether it's career pressure, whether it's family pressure, whether it's financial pressure, whatever it is, we all experience pressure at different points in our lives from different places. But the, the pressure that life can bring sometimes, if we allow it, will allow us, it will back us in a corner like it backs Saul into a corner. And if we're not careful, it will paralyze us to the point we cannot move and we just sit in fear. But can I tell you, it was not the will of God for Israel to stay servants to the Philistines. God had given their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham a promise that they would inherit and possess the land and that they would bless the world. There was promise hanging over them. And thankfully, in that time of pressure, there was somebody in the army of Israel, as small and meager and little as it was, that caught a vision of reality from God's perspective. And it was Saul's son, Jonathan. And so while his daddy was paralyzed by fear, Jonathan does something very different and something that I'm going to challenge each and every one of us to do as we close out an old year and we bring in a new year. And it's found in 1 Samuel, uh, the 14th chapter. I'm going to read a few verses here. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, it says this, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, because his father, he's not thinking about advancement. He's not thinking about attack. He's thinking about surrender and retreat. So he doesn't tell his father he's doing this. And Jonathan says to the young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And then I love this line. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And if I was a real preacher, I'd just stay, stay right here and preach that this morning. But I'm not, so I'm going to move on. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, as armor bearer said. Go ahead. I love this. I am with you heart and soul. You want to know why in just three short years, City Hills has seen the growth and has had the impact on Knoxville like it's had? It's because of a couple that was obedient to God that moved here, but it wasn't just that. It was because there's people in these chairs right here that are walking through these doors that looked at, looked at someone with a vision and said, we're with you heart and soul. And can I tell you, nothing great will ever be accomplished in the kingdom of God until this type of thing happens. It takes somebody to lead the way, but it also takes somebody that says, I'm going to own that vision, and I'm with you heart and soul, and let's go, let's do what God's put on your heart. And if you can do that, God, if he finds somebody that does that, he can do incredible things with it. So he says, I'm with you heart and soul, and watch what happens. So both of them showed themselves at the Philistine outpost. Look said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, 
Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. I mean, these guys, there's 20 of them. We'll find that out in a minute. And there's two of these Israelites. And so they're like, oh, ho, 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 ho. come on, it's party at the OK Corral tonight, buddy. We're about to take these guys out. So they call them to it. We're going to teach you a we're going to teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. I love Jonathan's faith. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. And with his armor bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. I love the imagery and the powerful message that God gives to us in this story of Jonathan's faith. Because Jonathan had a decision to make. I can let the fear and the pressure paralyze me like it's paralyzed my father. And I can just sit under a tree and I can accept defeat and I can accept living beneath the means that God wants for my life. Because let me tell you, had Saul surrendered to the Philistines, they would have gladly let him live in the land that he was in. They had let that happen for years and years and years prior to this. As long as nobody was rocking the boat, the Philistines were fine. You go ahead and you live underneath the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. Just don't pursue it. And as long as you play nice, and as long as you sit still, and as long as you don't serve in the kingdom of God, and as long as you don't believe that God can put your marriage back together again, and as long as you don't believe that God can restore the relationship you lost with your parents or your kids, and as long as you think that you can never do anything great in the kingdom of God, then you're fine, baby. Just stay right there. But the moment somebody looks in the, in the mirror like Jonathan looked in the mirror and said, wait, 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 wait. I'm made for more than this. Like, like God didn't bring me here and this time and this place for me to live an average life. I believe, I believe it was Jesus that said in John 10, 10, the whole reason I came, you know, we just came through Christmas and we celebrated all the miracles that took place as a result of Jesus coming to this earth. And Jesus looks at us and says, the reason I did all of that and a virgin became pregnant and, and the reason why I went to a cross and died a horrific death and the reason why death couldn't hold me on the third day I rose out of the grave. The whole... The reason I did all of that is so that you could have life to the fullest. Not, not average life. Not just living American dream life. Not just kind of going through it hoping that nothing tragic happens life. Not just playing it safe life. Not just life after eternity or during eternity. I came so that you could have life to the max right here and right now. Because I've got a plan and i got a purpose for you and for your family and for your marriage and for your kids. And if you'll just see it, but you have the choice. Saul, you can come and sit and just live the average life that everybody else around you is living. Or Jonathan, you can stand up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to sit back in the shadow. You know what? I would rather die fighting for my future and I would rather die fighting for God's purpose in my life than to sit back and just be average and ordinary and die the death of the average. And God just kind of sent me by City Hills on this last Sunday of 2018 to challenge you 
individually and then to challenge this church collectively. I pray and I believe and my hope and my dream for you and your family in this church is that we would never be a church that just sits back on the sidelines and accepts that the pressure is too great and that the, the enemy is too powerful, but that we would stand up like Jonathan and say, wait a minute, God's got a purpose for us. God's got a future for us. There's prophetic words hanging over us. And if we will dare believe Him, God can save by many or by few. He can save by a massive army or by two people that believe He's bigger than any obstacle. He can save when the odds are in your favor, but never forget when they're out of your favor. Your God is bigger. Your God is greater. Y'all, I'm, I'm sorry. I tell them in D.C. sometimes because, you know, in D.C. they're real proper and orderly. And I tell them, like, y'all, I'm Pentecostal. So sometimes my Pentecostal comes out. I can't help it. When I begin to think about what God wants to do with your life and what God wants to do with this church. Come on, don't just sit back and say, hey, we got it good. Look what God has done. No, 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 no. There's enemies out there to take. There's an adversary to run out of Knoxville. Come on, there's people that God's called you to reach. God didn't just save you to save you. He saved you so that you could walk into your job and save somebody else. He saved you so you could walk into your neighborhood and make sure that your neighbors know that they don't have to go the way of divorce that they don't have to lose their family that there is a God that can bring hope and life here and now and so I want to challenge you to make sure in 2019 that you decide I'm going to be a church I'm going to be a person I'm going to be a family we're going to be a family of action we're not just going to sit and let life go by. We're not going to sit and accept the status quo and the things that are as though they can never change. We're going to be a people. We're going to be a family. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a woman of action. Because the truth of the matter is, most of the time, the reason why we never see God's fullest and best for us in our life is not because of things we do. It's because of things we don't do. See, some of us think, oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing, and so we never do a thing. And God's saying, wait a minute, that's what the cross is all about and the blood's all about. If you screw up, I got you covered. I can work with that. I mean, have you read about Peter? Peter was a scrub, like he was a loose cannon. But who preached the first sermon of the first church? It was somebody that said, I can't just sit back and say nothing. Well, I may not understand all of this, but somebody's got to stand up and say, hey, God's got a future for us. Let's go get it. Let's not just sit back and accept that Rome has killed Jesus. Let's stand up and say, he's not dead. He's alive. And we don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to follow him all the way. But that's the tactic of the adversary. If he can intimidate you, to inaction. He doesn't have to intimidate you into a life of sin. He doesn't have to intimidate you into a life that says no to God. He just has to intimidate you that says, I'll accept that Jesus is my Savior, but I don't think He's going to do anything with me. But Jonathan said, no, 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 we're not going to be inaction people. We're going to be action-oriented people. And so you may be sitting here saying, well, how do I become an action-oriented person and Christian? And how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you two things really quick. 
how to be an action-oriented person as you move into this new year. I want you to make two decisions. The first thing you've got to decide is you've got to be willing to pursue with a perhaps. I love when Jonathan says to his armor bearer, perhaps God will save us. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm like, uh, you better come better than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, perhaps? You want me to dive off into that? Just me and you with the perhaps? No, we better call the prophet in. We better wait to day 22 on 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know what I'm saying? And we got to make sure we got a very clear word from God that this is, thus saith the Lord, this will happen 110% sure about it. But unfortunately, that's the way many of us spend our life. We won't move until we experience that. And that's not the way God works. Most of the time. You have to be willing to pursue. I remember when God began to speak to Kimberly and I about planting a church in in the D.C. metro area. And guys, I'm from Winsboro, Louisiana. Y'all don't even know where that is. And neither does anybody else. It's not from there. I'm just, a, I'm, I'm, I'm like, God, right, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. But I remember having the discussion with my wife one day because it was burning in my soul and I could not get free from it. And I said to my wife, I don't know what will happen. We may fall flat on our face. This may be the biggest failure of my life and I may go to my grave ashamed of myself for doing this and it not work. But I refuse to live my life with an if. I don't want to be an old man one day and look in the mirror and wonder what would have happened. And so I said, we're going to get the answer. Now, it may not be one we like, but I refuse to go to my grave wondering if I had only done what God prompted me to do. You will get to intersections in your life like that at times when you don't have a 100% guarantee. All you know is there's something that just won't let go of you and it's the voice and the call of God that's pulling you to a certain direction to make a decision, to step out and do something and you have a decision to make. Will you wait until all the details are finalized or will you dare to trust the voice of God even when you don't have it figured out and say perhaps and there's some things that you will never experience in life if you are not willing to pursue with a perhaps because that's all they had Saul while he's waiting on a word from God and 100% surety that they're going to get this victory Jonathan says wait a minute I don't, I don't have to wait on that all I know is perhaps God will and I trust God enough to move with a perhaps So many of us are waiting on God when God's waiting on us. I'm just waiting on the Lord. And God's saying, I'm waiting on you. I've already given the promise. I already told your great, 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 granddaddy that you're going to have this land. I just need somebody to believe I'm big enough to back that promise up and move even when all you got is a perhaps. 
Come on, I'm challenging some of you as you move into this new year to get together with your spouse and those things that you've been praying about and you maybe have been holding back on and like, well, honey, I don't know, I don't know. And you think, well, I, this, there's this call and I feel like God's calling us, but, but maybe we need this to happen and maybe we need that to happen. And, may, and I'm not telling you to do some wise, dumb, or unwise, dumb thing. I'm not telling you to do that. But what I'm telling you is at some point in your life, you're going to come to an intersection when all the I's that can be dotted will be dotted. And all the T's that have been cro- can be crossed will be crossed. And you're still going to have some, some, some ambiguity there. Why? Because God says, there's some things I want to do in your life that only I can do. That you'll never be able to figure out. And you've got to trust me. Because if you have it all figured out, then you'll get the credit and you'll take the credit when it happens. But there's something I want to do in your life so big and so great. And there's something I believe God wants to do with City Hills in Knoxville that is so great and so big. The Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Neither has it entered in the heart of man what God wants to do for His people. That means God's got something He wants to do for you that you haven't even thought of. You can't even think of it. And God's saying, you're going to have to be willing to trust me. That even when you don't have it all figured out, you got to be willing to just take the step. Greatness is achieved by great action. Great action. Great action. Not great planning. And I'm not against planning. You should plan, plan, plan. But at some point, you got to sit the pencil down and the graph paper down. And you got to say, we got to take a step. Perhaps God will meet us there. And that's what they did. And then the second decision they did, that, that they made, and you have to make... Not only do you have to pursue with a perhaps, you have to pursue with a purpose. So we read that they went to the outpost. They had a specific purpose. I love this. Jonathan didn't just say, hey, let's, let's just airdrop in with the 9th Infantry. Let's, let's be airborne rangers and drop right in the middle of those thousands of soldiers and just take the whole thing. That's not what Jonathan said. He went to the outpost where the scouts were. And he said, you know what? Thousands of soldiers may be too much for for the two of us. But we can handle 20 in a half acre. We're not going to focus on the hundreds of acres that God's ultimately going to give us. We're not going to focus on the thousands of soldiers that God's ultimately going to give us victory over. We're going to focus on a half acre and the 20 that's right there. And that's where we're going. We're going to just take the next step. We're not going to worry about 50 steps. We're not going to worry about 100 steps. I'm just going to do what's right in front of me right now to do. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know how we're going to ultimately get these Philistines out of Israel. But I do know that if I take this next step, God can show up. And watch what happens when they take that next step. And they get victory over the 20 men in the half acre. I love this. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 14 that panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. And it was a panic sent by God. And if you keep reading, you find out that the panic that took place in the Philistine army caused them to begin to kill one another. And they ran out and fled out of the region of the Hebrew people. And God 
gave victory. You see, there's some things that's so big that God's going to do in you, some of your lives. And there's some things that are so big God is going to ultimately do with this church. If you got 10 steps out ahead of it, it would blow your mind to the point you'd be like Saul. You'd never make a move. But God's saying, I don't, I don't need you to worry about the vastness of the enemy. I don't need you to worry about the thousands, the 3,000 chariots and the 6,000 chariot men and the number of entrymen that can't even be numbered. I don't need you to worry about the hundreds of acres that they're occupying. Come on, Jonathan. Just what's next? And if you take a step, it's one of the things I love about City Hills. If this is your first day here, you are in, a, you are in the best place you could be because you're in a church that believes in just small steps. Step by step. You don't need to come in here and think that your life has to be put together and everything in order for God to do something with you or want you or love you. God already loves you. He proved that on the cross. And you don't need to look at somebody that's been coming to church for, for a year or two years or ten years of their whole life and think that, well, I'm not that so that uh, you know I can't do anything and I can't be used by God or I'll never get there. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about what's your next step. You don't need to worry about a hundred steps. You need to be worried the next step. And if you'll take the next step, God's got the power to take care of all the rest. But you have to take the first one. Stop being paralyzed by the pressure you've been feeling in your life. Instead of being paralyzed, why don't you let it propel you to God's purpose? And say, perhaps, don't have this all figured out, but perhaps. I've got a horrible past, but perhaps God can still use me. I have a failed marriage, but perhaps my next marriage is going to be the greatest marriage on the planet. I, 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 my kids, they don't want anything to do with me, but perhaps if I make this next step, that relationship's going to be mended. Perhaps. And then take every bit of faith God's given you, and you take it. Well, give me the guarantee. Here's the only guarantee I'm going to give you today. I guarantee if you do nothing, nothing will happen. But perhaps, <laughs> if you decide that this year I'm going to change and I'm going to take the step, perhaps it could be the one step God's been waiting on you to take that literally changes the course of your life and unlocks God's destiny for your future. Let's bow our heads. 
Jesus, this is a holy moment in your presence. And I pray, God, for every person sitting in this room that they would have the boldness to step out in the midst of obscurity and in the middle maybe of the pressure that they've been facing. I pray, God, that they would not be paralyzed, but that they would decide to be a Jonathan and to step out and go after everything that you died so that they could have. Maybe you're here today and you've walked in here and you feel like that you don't have much of a future at all. You're far from God and, and you've convinced yourself that you've done too much, you've been gone too long from God or you don't know all the ins and outs of the, the, the world of religion. Listen, salvation is not about religion. Salvation is not about joining a church. Salvation is not anything. You know that about, you don't want to know what salvation is about. It's about a step. It's just about one step toward God. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you're here and you want to make a step that will change your life, and you want to say yes to Jesus, just really quickly right where you sit, I want you to do this with me. Just pray this. You can pray it at your seat in your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving me. And today, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my mistakes. And I'm taking a step today. I say yes. And from this day forward, I am yours. And I will never be the same. 